Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Hey everyone, today I have another fabulous episode for you. I have Dr. Kelly Roof, who is a clinical educator for Precision Analytical. Uh, Dr. Dr. Roof is a licensed naturopathic doctor and completed a medical education at the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, and a private residency uh, where she specialized in inflammatory bowel disease, and she has a background in biochemistry and cell biology. I love Dr. Kelly. She has a way of explaining very complicated things uh, very simply. And in this episode, we are talking about bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, something that's hugely important for um, women, but also for men. Um, We do focus more on the woman today. Um, It's not just for menopausal women and postmenopausal women, but also for younger women. We also talk about methylation. and how hormones actually get out of the body. And that's really for both sexes, um, something important to understand and the implications of um, getting hormones right or wrong and having things in balance. So I hope you uh, enjoy Dr. Dr. Roof. Uh, before we head over to the show, please go and check out everything that I've got going on on my website on lisatarmody.com. Check out our range of anti-aging, longevity supplements, health optimization supp- supplements that we've got on our in our store there, some really specialized, amazing supplements that can really help you slow the time, uh, the hands of time, so to speak, and engage with us. If you want to ask us a question, send an email to support at Um, and one of my team can get back to you. We do, of course, do uh, epigenetic testing, DNA testing. Um, we do thyroid and hormone testing now. We are doing uh, lots of health optimization coaching. So make sure you check out everything that we've got going on and do reach out to us. Now over to the show with Dr. Kelly Roof. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have a fabulous lady with with me. Um, I'm a little bit of a fan of this lady's work. It's absolutely amazing. Um, Dr. Kelly Roof, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're so sweet. I'm a fan of your work too. So I've like been diving into it lately and I am impressed and intimidated. <laughs> I'm intimidated by your knowledge on, or, you know, like this is, this is going to be such a, a exciting uh, episode. I had the privilege of Dr. K- uh, Carrie Jones on the show um, a few weeks ago who used to be at, at Dutch. So, um, and precision analytical. So, uh, that was yeah. really fabulous. And I um, saw that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, she's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just, uh, I've been deep in the research on hormones, um, both for selfish reasons <laughs> and for my clients as well to, to better understand the, uh, the Dutch test, especially. Um, and today I wanted to, you know, there's so many aspects that we could go down, but I wanted to sort of go down and talk about uh, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, maybe estrogen and methylation and how what what goes on in the body. Um, so but before we do, dive into the, the weeds, so to speak, can you give us a little bit of a background on yourself and your daughter and your husband and, you know, what you're doing? You're in the middle of a storm somewhere at the moment. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's really stormy here. It's windy. So I'm actually in my in-laws place right now. I'm not at home because we lost internet we lost power oh, but I, oh. I was like the show has to go on 
So <laughs> made it happen. Wow. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'm a naturopathic doctor and I went to the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. Um, let's see, before that, I mean, for undergrad, I got a, a BS in biochemistry and cell biology wow. with a minor in uh, cognitive neuroscience. So wow, it's funny. A uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I originally was doing neurobiology because I thought I was going to go into research and I thought I was going to map out the brain, but then I was in a class and we actually held like a, a real brain that was in formaldehyde. And I just looked at it and I don't know what happened when I looked at that brain and I held it, but I was like, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so I switched, I switched over to biochemistry. I knew I wanted to stay in health. I wasn't so sure I'd go into research, but, um, wow. yeah. And now I am a clinical educator at precision analytical and we're makers of the Dutch test and Dutch stands for dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. So we're looking at hormones and their metabolites in the urine. We're also looking at cortisol in the urine, but also cortisol in the saliva. So with the, the saliva, cortisol. you can see that cortisol awakening response. Yeah, I'm really interested nice. in that. That's quite new, that test, isn't it? So, um, and, and it's, uh, well, it's new to my world, perhaps. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the cortisol awakening response is something that I'm, I'm, I'm grappling with at the moment, <clears throat> the research around that. Um, can you actually, can we talk a little bit about cortisol? Yeah. Because the 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 whole HPA axis, we used to talk about adrenal fatigue and things, but it's sort of not the words and terms we use anymore. But mm-hmm. why is it important for people to understand the cortisol awakening response or cortisol in general? Um, what sort of implications can it have when your cortisol is too high or flatlining? Um, could we could we start off with that because that is a bit of an interesting conversation. Sure. That, that, that clock agrees. <laughs> it went off. It's a really cool clock, uh, by the way. Yeah. We'll see how many times it goes off during this. <laughs> um, so cortisol, yeah, cortisol is very important. We don't want it too high. We don't want it too low. You know, I always think of the three little bears. Yeah. <laughs> or go, Goldilocks and the three little bears. Time. Yep. Yeah. It has to be in that sweet spot. Um, you know, cortisol is anti-inflammatory. It has effects on the immune system. It helps regulate our blood pressure. It helps with energy, motivation, helps us wake up in the morning. Um, So, you know, we don't want it to be too low, but we also don't want it to be too high because if cortisol is high, we tend to be in this fight or flight mode constantly. And if you think about it, if your cortisol is high, if you're stressed out, if you're in that fight or flight mode constantly, you're like the blood that is usually helping with digestion, it kind of leaves those digestive organs. It goes out to the muscle so that we can run away. Mm-hmm. And so we have, we can have chronic GI issues, you know, gastrointestinal issues, gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea. I mean, we see it all with high cortisol, mm-hmm. um, but cortisol, when it's high over time, it can lead to hypertension or you know high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, uh, mood issues, fatigue. It even can lead to immune dysfunction. It'll slow wound healing Wow. Uh, and, and affect bone health too. Yeah. So if you've got high cortisol, you can have issues with bone mineral density over time. 
That's crazy. The 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 whole immune piece of the puzzle is so when you're in a fight or flight state and you're basically running away from the tiger all day, every day, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you're just taking all of the energy away from those systems. Is that correct? So your immune system just can't get the energy it needs to do its job and and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that's really important that we keep that in. That, but when it's too low, what happens then? When cortisol is too low. Yeah. When cortisol is too low. Yeah. So we won't be able to regulate our blood pressure as well. A lot of times our energy and our mood is affected. So you'll see people with, with low mood, with depression, uh, maybe even low motivation, uh, inner, yeah, low energy, definitely. And sometimes you even see like issues with weight loss mm-hmm. with low cortisol uh, issues with exercise, being able to exercise, you know, yeah. to tolerate exercise. So it has some absolutely major implications to keep this in that right zone. Yes. And, you know, so, so people who, so um, I've, you know, struggled with stress in the last few years for obvious reasons, but life's been a bit of a, a bit of a bitch really. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, these times where I think I've had high, high cortisol and then that sort of negative feedback loop kicking in and actually dropping you right down so that there's bugger all cortisol happening at all. Um, And, you know, when you go to stand up and you're sort of wobbly on your feet and you just don't have any energy and that, yeah, that that deep mood and all of that. Um, Have you seen people come back and get balanced again? And how, how, what are some of the interventions that you might want to think about if you've, if you've got a cortisol problem, whether it's too high initially or too low, if you've been under stress for a long period of time, Um, what are some of the things that we can do from a lifestyle perspective, perhaps that can really, really help us? Yeah. Well, stress can be a bitch. I agree. Like, you know, sometimes (laughs) life can be a bitch and we all go through, um, times that are more stressful and times that are less stressful. And, and you're right. Originally, or in the initially, when we go through stress, we have high cortisol, but like you said, over time, I always think of it as the body being wise, like the body's like, wow, we've had high cortisol for a long time now. And we're, we're becoming more insulin resistant. We're gaining weight. Our blood pressure is all over the place or it's higher. Um, you know, we're getting increased cardiovascular disease. So the body knows this isn't sustainable. So what it does is it, that all that cortisol for a long period of time ends up having a negative feedback on the brain. So in the end, we end up having lower cortisol because the brain will kind of decrease that signaling to the, to the adrenals. Mm-hmm. which, you know, those adrenals are those two glands that sit on top of the, the kidneys that are making the cortisol. So over time we end up with, with low cortisol and I have seen people bounce back after having, you know, pretty low cortisol. And usually it takes a while. Like some people bounce back relatively quickly. And I would say that would take months, Yep. but sometimes it's, it's years or over wow. a year to bounce back. And it, it depends on, you know, their their overall health at that time, um, how many different stressors there are on the body and their ability to make those changes, you know, the degree to which they can make those changes in their life. But one really important change, which I think is just super important for the adrenals besides stress reduction is sleep. Yeah. Biggest leverage point for everybody thing on the planet, really (laughs) sleep. So sleep, I always try to get people to sleep. Um, 
and I know we're going to talk about bioidentical replacement therapy later, but like in perimenopause, when we don't ovulate as frequently, we're not being exposed to all that progesterone yeah. and we know progesterone really helps us sleep. So sometimes there's things we can do with even BHRT to support sleep in perimenopausal women and menopausal women. Um, but yeah, it, it, when we're sleeping, you know, our central nervous system detoxes, our brain detoxes, we're kind of forced to lay there. So we're in, we're more in that parasympathetic mode, that rest and digest mode. So we're repairing, we're growing, we're detoxing. Um, and, and it's, it can be really helpful when people have chronically high cortisol or low cortisol. Yeah. So number one <clears throat> tip of sleep and then, you know, there are, there are some nutrients and there are some herbs like ashwagandha and rhodiola and things like that, that can be good. Those adaptogens um, sort of in the yeah. mix as well. Um, but, and, and this is where I like, you know, the, the Dutch test with the, with the car, with the core cortisol awakening response in it, because then you actually get to see where it is and the diurnal pattern and where it gets complicated is you've got the cortisol and the cortisone and the, that goes backwards and forwards and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the active the active form of it, the inactive form of it. And is it recycling the background? And that's where I'm still um, in the weeds on that sort of stuff, um, trying to understand that. Um, you're, but, you're not yeah. alone. Yeah, no, you're not alone. Good, that's, the most, that's the most confusing part. <laughs> it is, it is. That, what is that, that, that enzyme... Um, oh, HSD, 11, yeah, 11 beta beta HSD, yeah, 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 that's the one. That's the one that's yep, confusing yep. the crap out of me at the moment. <laughs> but you know, uh, we'll get there, I suppose. By the you know, another another couple of months of study, maybe I'll get that pathway down. Um, but understanding all of this, and this is what we can see in the in the in the in the test, is the diurnal pattern is what I wanted to briefly touch on before we we head off to BHRT and stuff. Um, the, the diurnal pattern. So we have more cortisol. We should have a big rise in cortisol when we wake up in the morning. It's what gets us going. It's what gets us motivated and things. And I actually love to you know been listening to Professor Huberman um, on the Huberman. Uh, lab podcast. I don't know if you know Andrew Huberman, but he's a has amazing podcast, and he talks all about circadian rhythms and getting light on your eyes early in the morning from the sun and yeah. being outside and exposing yourself so that you sort of reset that 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 clock, you know, that suprachiasmatic nucleus in the brain yeah. and get that. Uh, and so that's one of my my hacks. Like this morning, I woke up a little bit groggy because yesterday I I climbed our local mountain, so I was a bit, a bit tired. And I got up at you know three a.m. yesterday, and I was a bit oh this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, brain, switch on. You're talking to Dr. <laughs> Kelly, right? <laughs> You've got to have your the, brain on. I had the same feeling this morning, so we're we're at the same level right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. So we'll just we'll just wind into it. But yeah, I'm trying to turn the brain on. I'm sitting here with my licorice tea as we speak, actually. Trying to get there the cortisol go. up. There you go. <laughs> keep it cortisol. Keep it cortisol. Not going to cortisol. <laughs> um, so I went outside and I got sunlight on my eyes. But, th- but that's actually a really good example. I'm sitting here with my licorice tea because mm-hmm. I know that that would help the cortisol stays cortisol and not go to the inactive form. And I need my brain on. So um, yeah, it's helping me out a little bit this morning. Hopefully, yeah. And it's delicious. The licorice root tea. Yeah. You know, just. Just get that licorice root and you decoct it for five to, you know, you simmer it five to seven minutes and it does not taste like black licorice. I always have a lot because I don't like black licorice or fennel or anise. And I have a lot of people say, oh, I don't really like black licorice. I'm like, it doesn't taste like it at all. Like I can tolerate (laughs) 
it's it's sweet. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I love it. And and, and it's such, that's why I like these sort of podcasts, these interviews, because you get these little tips, right? You get, get all these little hints on how do you make your life better? And you start stacking a whole lot of those things together, positive lifestyle interventions and things, and that can have massive effects. And, and like, you know, getting outside, I'm actually sitting also under a light here so that I make sure that I get, you know, some extra light to to wake that cortisol response up. And that diurnal rhythm is really important to get the cortisol in the morning. And we don't want that at night time. So then I put my blue light blocking glasses on at night and um, yeah. <clears throat> try to, you know, calm myself down, which isn't always easy in my case. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump now over, you know, um, the cortisol. We could do a whole hour on the cortisol or right, several, right. several hours. But I really <laughs> wanted to talk today about, you know, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and also methylation, two massive, <laughs> massive places to go. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get through both of those in, in one hour either. But um, it, a bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, um, is a, is something that I want to put on the radar of women in their you know forties and fifties, and actually even younger women who need to understand hormone balance, and you know because our progesterone levels especially can be affected already in our twenties and in thirties, and I'm mm-hmm. seeing that and with some of my clients that already 25 and their progesterone levels are dropping um so this isn't just um you know for for menopausal women but it there was a a study that came out a few decades ago the 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 women's health initiative study Mm. and it sort of did a bit of a disservice to womankind i think in my opinion where it sort of blanketly said after this years of research Bioidentical, so it wasn't bioidentical. Uh, hormone replacement therapy is bad and causes cancer. Was the 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 short version what the public got right? Yeah. Um, do you agree with that? Was that where where were the problems with that? Yeah, yeah. That so that study came out and so many women just got you know went to their doctors, got off their hormones, or didn't mm. even talk, didn't even tell their doctors first, just stopped their hormones because they were terrified mm. and. You know, if I if I heard that in the news, I probably would have too. You know, <laughs> but there were a lot of issues with that study. I think the biggest issues were they were using synthetic hormones. Mm. They were not doing bioidentical hormones. Yeah, yeah. And the four issues that the Women's Health Initiative uh, said by said uh, not bio said hormones can uh, cause issues with. So it was venous thromboembolic disease heart attack, stroke, and breast cancer, all of those are minimized or negated, you know, just eliminated if we use bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, because they were using like the conjugate, conjugated equine estrogens that you get from the horse urine, and they were yeah. using progestins, which we know there's a lot of issues with progestins. Progestins, we're finding out more and more that they're not, you know, they increase risk mm. for breast cancer. They're not good for cognition. And they're not progesterone. Yeah, they're not, they're not. not progesterone. progesterone. Yeah, progesterone is what we produce naturally. And and so we always talk about BHRT, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And that's a different beast altogether. Um, and I, I'm quite passionate about trying to explain to women so that they actually go and do a deeper dive because that very simplified narrative from that study years ago is still reverberating today that no, I'm not doing, I'm not even going to look at it because I've heard 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a far more nuanced, far, far more nuanced com- conversation than that. Um, and that there are many, many benefits that can be associated with, with hormone replacement therapy, but it does need to be done with the right person who knows what they're doing. And you do need the testing. And this is why, you know, test don't guess. So understand where, where your hormones are being processed out. And we can talk a little bit about that today. Um, so with women going through menopause, which is the, you know, the sort of elephant in the room at this, you know, for, for women in their 40s and 50s that are going through these changes, yep. where would you start with, with someone who's wanting to look at why should I go on? You know, what are some of the positives that can, with the caveat that you do this with a doctor and, and so on, or a certified hormone specialist? Yeah. Um, where you know where should you start with this journey and why should be looking at hormone replacement what benefits can it give us yeah that is a great question and i i totally agree women in their 30s their 40s you know we should start to get familiar with bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and how it can help us because there are a lot of benefits especially if women start that estrogen and progesterone if they have a uterus, right? We can, you know, we can get more into that, but we have to balance progesterone and estrogen, especially if we have a uterus to avoid endometrial hyperplasia and the possibility of, of cancer. Um, but bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, if we start it within the first five years of menopause, it can have so many wonderful positive effects on our cardiovascular health, our bone health, our cognition, though the, the research is mixed, so we don't, you know, it's not certain that it's going to support cognition, but a lot of times we, we do see it clinically. Mm. Um, what else? What else? I said sleep cognition. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, progesterone, Mode. a lot of times sleep. Sometimes women have some benefits with weight loss and mood, definitely mood. Um, yeah, it can help lower anxiety, help with depression. Um, I feel like there's some more that it really helps with that I'm just anti-aging you know like skin hair uh, you know all of those sorts of things oh and hot flashes and vulvovaginal atrophy so or vaginal dryness so I I always say you know even before I hit menopause or what as I'm getting close to menopause you know as my estrogen is falling off I'm going to take vaginal estrogen just like yep. prophylactically to avoid all that vaginal atrophy yep. that, that we get as we get older. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So I've been on hormone replacement therapy and uh, for, for a few years now, and I was someone who was on the oral contraceptive, unfortunately, from a very, very early age. And I shared that a little bit with um, my stories in the last couple of episodes, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I developed things like, you know, estrogen dominance and um, fibroids and uh, adenomyosis and was unable to have children and, you know, not just because of the contraceptive pill, but I, I do believe that that was a massive um, piece of the problem. Um, genetically, some factors involved as well, probably uh, this type of sport that I did, which was ridiculous um, levels of you know inflammation in the body and hormonal dysregulation and so on and so forth. So a complicated picture. Um, but 
so now it's like for me trying to balance all the things and you know when when women are going through menopause it's a shitty time like for many women like mm-hmm. uh mood dysregulation irritability unable to sleep bone loss you know all of those things that we just mentioned they have massive impacts I don't want to age quickly I want to you know I'm all about longevity I'm all about being functional for as long as possible so for me dialing it in and getting it right uh, and, and and checking periodically because this is the, the other thing that you you do have to keep testing once you're on hormone replacement therapy because you want to see, you know, like I just did that, uh, did a hormone test um, uh, just a few weeks ago and it came back, you know, my uh, testosterone really low, my progesterone really low, uh, estrogen Zilch, even though I was on hormone replacement. Um, in other mm. words, probably been through the ringer the last couple of years. And yeah. I was using everything up, even though I was putting in it was a drop in the bucket and I need to increase some of the things which I've been doing and then trying to balance that out now. Um, so it's so it's not a simple thing. And there are, you know, like explain to us a little bit the types of hormone replacement, like there's the patch and there's the, you know oral progesterone versus you know topical and all of that um can you explain like the the types of hormone replacement therapies and the estrogen versus progesterone versus testosterone testosterone for women very important as well um Mm. that whole sort of picture yeah yeah definitely so when it comes to hormones women are usually replacing estrogen and usually they're doing estradiol and estriol, or they're just doing estriol or just estradiol. But estradiol is like the strongest estrogen. It's the most potent estrogen. So if you're looking to improve cognition, your bone mineral density, um, hot flashes, you know, that's going to be more estradiol. Mm-hmm. Estriol we think is protective and anti-inflammatory. So sometimes we throw it in with the estradiol. Or sometimes women just use vaginal estriol Mm -hmm. to help like locally with vaginal dryness and atrophy. Um, But sometimes, you know, people do use just estradiol vaginally too at a low dose if they want more localized effects. We found that with a vaginal cream, if we go above 0.04 milligrams vaginally, then we start to see more systemic effects. You know, then you start to see estrogen elevating in your blood, which is good to know because some women, they don't, they don't want like systemic full body estrogen therapy. They just want it for the vagina or in the vulva. And so using that lower dose estradiol over here, we have something called Vagifem. It's a 10 Mm -hmm. microgram insert. Mm-hmm. So it's a very low dose estradiol. It's not going to increase estrogen in, in our entire body, just locally. Mm-hmm. But we've got estrogen, we've got progesterone, testosterone, and even DHEA. And the, you know, the two most common I see, of course, is estrogen and progesterone. And estrogen, you can take it in a patch form. You can apply it in a gel or a cream. Um, those, those are probably the most common, yeah. um, you know, you can take it orally or sublingually in a trochee. You can insert the cream vaginally too, but the way I think of it, 
So there's a few things to take into consideration before Mm. deciding if you're going to do oral estrogen or if you're going to do vaginal estrogen or just like a topical cream or gel or patch. So number one, oral estrogen can increase risk for strokes and clots. Yeah, massive. So I I never use oral estrogen. No. Uh, the safest bet for estradiol is going to be a transdermal, like a cream or a gel or a patch. The patch, if you put a patch on, sometimes women can get dermatitis. They get some skin reactions. And so it can be helpful to kind of rotate it ar- around the body. So you don't mm-hmm. have to stick the patch on the same place each time. And the patch, it's more like this continuous flow of estradiol, like a very small amount continuously, which is nice. The cream and the gels, if you think about it, you apply it and then it has to absorb into the skin. So you see the cream and the gels, like after you apply it, the serum estrogen will go up within the few first hours and then it'll decline. So it's more like you get this bump up of estradiol and then it declines until you apply it again. Vaginal estrogen, I I tend to stay away from vaginal estradiol that's higher than 0.04 mm-hmm. milligrams. If especially, well, if, if the one has a uterus mostly, because if you think about it, when you're putting that estradiol up into the vaginal canal, especially if it's in the like top third, uh, part of the vaginal canal, just like just location wise, think how close it is to the uterus. Yeah. So even if you put progesterone up there or estrogen up there, I mean, it's so close to the uterus that usually the amount of estrogen or progesterone in that uterus is going to be much higher than what you're going to see in the blood or the urine when you test it. So I'm always a little uh, aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, Being cautious of that. Yeah. We know estradiol for the uterus causes that tissue proliferation can cause possibly endometrial hyperplasia and um, lead to uterine cancer over time. But if, if we dose the estrogen correctly, if we apply it correctly, and if we balance it with progesterone, we have a uterus, then it'll eliminate that risk for uterine cancer completely. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com and thanks very much for joining us. 
Yeah, and this is a, this is the nuance of the conversation that needs to be explained a little bit more, right? And that progesterone piece, and the the progesterone is your calming, or at least the the the, the B uh, pregnenolone, you know, hits the GABA receptors in the brain and helps with calming. So if you're anxious, if you're you know, and this is one of the things like I've been dealing with with anxiety. Uh, well, when I came back with the progesterone, like, oh, you know, right low, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes that goes down the an alpha pathway, which is more, um, gonna hit the GABA receptors. Did I say that the other way around there before? Excuse me if I did. Um, versus the beta, um, pathway, mm-hmm. which I tend to go down. Everything is beta, which is good from the estrogen point of view, probably. Uh-huh. Um, um, and we're getting into the weeds, but there's there's a there's an alpha and a beta pathway for your progesterone. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So progesterone gets metabolized into a bunch of different metabolites, but the major metabolite is the beta, the beta pregnendal. So it's a beta progesterone metabolite, yep. um, and beta doesn't act on those GABA receptors. So the beta pregnendal progesterone metabolite doesn't really help calm us down. doesn't really help with anxiety or sleep, but the alpha progesterone metabolite. So progesterone can also get down at alpha pathway and it can be metabolized into things like alpha pregnendal, allopregnenolone, or sorry, allo, yeah, allo, am I saying that right? Allopregnenolone. Um, anyways, these alpha metabolites tend to modulate those GABA receptors in the brain. So, and we know GABA is very calming. Um, whenever I see women favoring the beta pathway, there's a few questions that I ask. It can be genetic, but also we have five alpha reductase blockers uh-huh. that can cause women to move more down that beta pathway. So some women are putting reishi mushroom powder in their coffee every morning. Oh, and reishi that. mushroom, reishi. it's a mm. five alpha blocker. So it'll ah. cause women to push more down that, that beta pathway. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 I did learn that at some point, but forgot yep. that fact. Yeah. Okay. So, and that, and this will affect cause your reishi can be really, really good for a lot of things. Um, yeah. but that's really, uh, a, a, a good thing to know if you're trying to get a little bit more alpha because the beta and the alpha pathways, and this is where I get confused too, um, affects your cortisol, affects your um your 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 testosterone your 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 dht and your um so you can be you know uh, or your, your testosterone can go down the alpha or beta pathway as as well as the pregnant dial uh, as well um mm-hmm. so if if you're shift if you're if you're pushing away from the five alpha which when yep. it comes to something like testosterone might be a good thing not necessarily a good thing on the on the pregnant dial side of things yeah, that's a really good point. So we've got five alpha reductase and five beta reductase, and those are enzymes and they metabolize our hormones. And, and you're right. You see their activity with progesterone. You see them metabolizing androgens and even cortisol. And it gets a little tricky with the progesterone and the testosterone because for, for progesterone, if we want more of that GABA calming effect, then we want more progesterone to go down the alpha pathway. But with testosterone, we might want more to go down the alpha pathway. Like for example, if someone has low androgens, then 
why not have them go down the alpha pathway? Because the alpha pathway for the androgens is going to make those androgens more potent. Yeah. So you kind of get more, more bang for your buck, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The, a lot the alpha. Yeah. It, it tends to turn testosterone into five alpha DHT, which is the most potent androgen. That's the one that really helps us with our motivation, with our confidence, with dopamine, with building muscle mass and with weight loss and mood and memory, uh, libido, like has so many good effects. So you don't want it to be too low, but if the androgens like testosterone, DHEA, you know, if they're too high, of course, like, like think about PCOS when androgens are high, we can get facial hair Mm. growth and acne. Um, but if they're too high, then usually we want to push them more down the beta pathway because it's the less androgenic pathway, less potent pathway. So sometimes the, the main issue I see is when women want more GABA modulation, they want more (laughs) progesterone going down the alpha, but their androgens are high. So they want the androgens to go down the beta and it's, it's hard to push both of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe GABA <laughs> might be a better way to break into that pathway and, and, and yeah. I'm just thinking putting two and two together instead of, yeah, trying to push the progesterone down that pathway and keep the DH, uh, the, the, the DHT pathway going. <laughs> it is like, yeah. this is complicated stuff. It, like there's by no means uh, simple and easy, but so in the DHT is sort of like three to five times more powerful as a testosterone. It binds to the receptor so much stronger than normal testosterone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where it gets confusing again is the DHEA versus yep. testosterone. Like DHEA is one of your like uh, precursors to your, is that right? <laughs> You've got your clock going on again. <laughs> I know, there's, there's um, the clock. <laughs> we can't actually so, even hear it. <laughs> it goes at the most random times. It's eleven thirty-nine. I'm like, it's a cuckoo not clock. Even, not even noon. Um, um. So, so yeah, your, your D, DHEA. What is DHEA versus testosterone? What's the difference? Yes, that's a good question. Okay, so testosterone for women. We'll talk about women. Um, in cycling, women about half of their testosterone comes from their ovaries. About half comes from their adrenals, Mm -hmm. like directly and indirectly. Um, And maybe I should explain that a little bit more. So there is something called androstenedione, Mm. which is another androgen. And the ovaries make half androstenedione and the adrenals make the other half of androstenedione. And then the androstenedione has to go and find fat tissue in the body to convert to testosterone. So for women actually, or cycling women, actually 50% of our testosterone is coming from our fat tissue. Um, And then 25% comes from the ovaries and 25 comes from the adrenals. And testosterone, it's an androgen. It can really help support you know, the bone health and the ability to build muscle mass and the mood and the libido. Um, DHEA, on the other hand, most of it comes from the adrenals, let's mm-hmm. say 80%, about 10% comes from the ovaries and about 10% from the brain. And DHEA, it's actually not a hormone. Mm. I was amazed when I learned that. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pro-hormone. Okay. So, DHA itself isn't going to really act on those receptors. 
um, for, it has to be converted first into androgens or estrogen. So DHEA can convert to testosterone or it can convert over to estrogen. And then, you know, the estrogen, the testosterone, that's what acts on those receptors gotcha. to have so it's an like effect. a precursor to what yeah. becomes a hormone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the precursor. Exactly. But it's, it's also really important because it does provide a lot of hormone, a lot of, you know, the estrogen, the, the androgens in the body. And we can, we can supplement with DHEA. Um, we can. Yeah. And this is a part of like my, my program, for example, um, I've been playing around between 10 milligrams and 25 milligrams of um, mm-hmm. DHEA, uh, trying to, you know, dial in that balance. Um, but it's yep. hard to tell because I can't get testosterone here. Um, my testosterones are very, very low. Um, mm-hmm. So I need to try to get those up. Um, so going using DHEA and other things like zinc and things that will help hopefully support the natural um production of testosterone but mm-hmm. um it, 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 you don't know how much of it is converting into estrogen right and you don't know how much of it is converting into into testosterones and then which pathway is it taking so it gets a little bit um, convoluted yeah. shall we say with, yeah. with DHEA it's not yeah, sort of there, a direct it's not and the research says men if men supplement with oral DHEA they tend to push it more into estrogen oh wow and, women tend to push it more towards their androgens. So I'm especially cautious with men taking DHEA and I'll see it in the Dutch testing. Sometimes, you know, men will just start on a hundred or 150 mil, like a really high dose of DHEA, oral DHEA. And you look at their Dutch report and their estrogens are just above range. Wow. And if they took testosterone, say an injection form or or something or a cream form that wouldn't necessarily be the case like not not as bad as with DHEA that's a good question I'm not sure because yeah testosterone can convert over to estrogen Mm. and if a man or a woman is overweight you know if they have extra fat tissue if they have a high stress lifestyle if they have more inflammation in their body and if they're blood sugars are dysregulated, they have more of a propensity to turn those androgens like testosterone and DHEA into estrogen, which, you know, estrogen is a fine balance too. We don't want it to be too low. We don't want it to be too high. Everything about hormones is that Goldilocks principle, isn't it? It just seems to be, you just got to dial it in right. And that takes into account your genetics, your environment, your stress, your, your weight, your insulin resistance, all of these sorts of areas. Um, and that's why dialing it in is, is, is really, really important. And I think, you know, like a lot of guys sort of think, Oh, just take testosterone. And I, you know, you see a lot of, um, men's clinics sort of pop up all around the place and they just go, Oh, your testosterone's low. Don't check anything else. Just give them a bunch of testosterone. And that works for a percentage of the men. And then for others, it's a disaster because it's not looking at the whole picture. And as you can tell from our very complicated conversation, this is a lot more nuanced than that. And so when you take a lot lot of testosterone, a lot of it could be converting down into the estrogens and then it could be the inflammatory bad types of estrogens or the good estrogens or, you know, how is your methylation, which we'll talk about in a minute. 
you know, so it's it's not something you just willy-nilly go and take a whole lot of testosterone and Bob's your uncle, you're you're gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll get right. all your muscle back and all that right. sort of thing, guys. <laughs> I've seen that with the Dutch test results too. Just yep. met, you know, men they're taking testosterone and the provider I'm talking to says, but they still have their low libido and their difficulty with <laughs> erections and their, you know, and I'm just like, well, they got plenty of testosterone. It's you know, I don't I don't think testosterone is the issue anymore. <laughs> it's no, something else. Exactly. Converting over into estrogens. And then what have you done? You've maybe caused, you know, gynecomastica and you've maybe caused, um, you know, weight gain and uh, all the estrogenizing things that can happen to men as well. You know, like yeah. the prostate uh, issues. Prostate issues. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's not something you just go willy-nilly. Whoever is your provider needs to look at the bigger whole picture and you're doing people a disservice if you're only looking at the testosterone going, your testosterone's low, therefore I give you testosterone. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the DHEA is, is, is well, you know, so it's about dialing it in correctly and maybe yeah. having to have different and this is where like there's lots of herbs and lots of supplements that can help drive different pathways you know you can have aromatase inhibitors in that case that may yep. help my the testosterone stay as testosterone and get processed that out that way rather than aromatizing into estrogens yes. um, so, so there's things that you can add in that may help that picture um i you know studied genetics and my husband i know um you know sends a lot of uh he has a he's a quite a lot a lot of testosterone but has a tendency to push uh the aromatizing gene the sip 19a1 is quite uh-huh. fast and does a lot down the four pathway so you know I wouldn't, he doesn't need it anyway, but I'm, I'm cautious with him on testosterone therapy, right? Because mm-hmm. that could send it down the wrong pathway unless we slow that aromatization down and we support methylation and do other things, which, you know, at some point when he's older, maybe we'll need to do that, but we don't just push in testosterone and then he could have more problems down the road, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause when we have high testosterone or high five alpha, five alpha DHT, and we have high estrogen, then yeah, definitely see some issues with prostate growth, which is prostate issues. And then on top of that, if we're pushing our estradiol and our estrone, just pushing our estrogens down the more carcinogenic 4-OH pathway, that's going to increase risk for prostate cancer. Yep. So that's yeah. A, yeah. And in and, and talking about estrogens, you know, there's the 2-OH, the 4-OH, the 16, there's these different types of estrogen as well. There's the estrone, mm-hmm. the estriol and estradiol. So it gets bloody complicated quick. But the two pathway uh, is the most favorable one. In the literature, it seems to be the most anti-inflammatory, the most protective, can still do damage, but yep. it's not as bad as the four um, pathway. Um, and there are, but there are so many things that we can do to um, direct our hormones down the two pathway. You know, a lot of lifestyle things. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, some of the stuff. Oh, sulforaphane, for example, yeah. is one of my yeah. favorites. Um, sulforaphane. Dim, dim, but you got to be careful who you're giving it to. You don't want to wipe out their estrogens completely if you've got a menopausal woman and you give them dim. <laughs> Um, yep. Dim. Yeah. Dim will lower circulating estrogens. Yeah. But so we the don't want to go cruciferous, those cruciferous veggies like kale and collard greens and 
uh, broccoli, cauliflower, you know, those are going to help push the 2OH, the most stable pathway. And so will the carrot family. No one talks about the carrot family, but I think about like what I usually put in a traditional soup. So Mm -hmm. carrots, celery, parsley, coriander, those are all going to help support the 2OH pathway also. Wow. Yeah. And and, then that's why this morning um, I went and got my parsley out of the garden and I got some rosemary out of the garden and nice. uh, made it. <laughs> ah, rosemary. Rosemary pushes the 208 yeah. pathway also. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, you know, yeah. on my tests, it came back 90% going down the 208 pathway, which I was absolutely stoked about. You know, oh, like, nice. it, that's great. Um, yeah, yeah. I always push down the 4-O-H. I'm still working yeah. on that. <laughs> so, you, you know, I've got to get that sulforaphane and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm I do, starting do, to sprout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so. I do a lot of sprouting and stuff like that, and I have that for so many things. Also very good for cancer and things, by the way, just as an aside, the sulforaphane. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so we can manipulate, and you can see the results. You know, like I'm now pushing where I used to push a lot down the, the, the 4-O-H pathway and the 16 pathway. Uh, now yeah. I don't. Um, so, so that, that, that has to be completely lifestyle interventions, mm-hmm. you know, like, which, which is, which is great That's because the great. 4-OH of course can cause, uh, DNA damage through depurinating adducts, which, uh, big words meaning, yeah, it's not good. It can cause, <laughs> cause, um, yeah, DNA damage, which is, what we want to avoid in, in uh, quinones and semi-quinones and things. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting because we think of a lot of this meta- metabolism happening in the liver, but some of it like, so the CYP1B1, that enzyme is what converts estrogen to the 4-OH, the carcinogenic metabolites. And most of it happens in the liver, but we do have that enzyme hanging out in our breast tissue, hanging out in our uterus. And so some of the estrogen locally right there in the tissues can be converted into 4-OH. And so when you have the 4-OH sitting in your breast tissue, you know, it has that propensity to turn into that reactive quinone that you said, you know, it causes DNA damage. So you can have DNA damage right there in your breast tissue. So it it really, yeah, well, obviously more breast cancers in in your late forties where you do more, um, you do more of that processing out in the breast tissue. Whereas when you're younger, you tend to make more in the liver. Is that correct? Oh, so you I don't tend know. to process out more in the liver. I, um, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Mansour Muhammad, one of my teachers in, in, in genetics, and, and he said, yeah, when you're, when you're younger, a lot more goes through the liver. Um, oh, and when you're older, more is processed through in the breast tissue. And that's one of the reasons why you start seeing more breast cancers in your 40s and 50s. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and you know, so if you've got breast tenderness and things like that, those are warning signs. Like I've been playing around with my 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 hormone replacement therapy since I got my test back. And mm. I think I pushed it a little bit too hard on the on the estrogen side. And I've had some breast tenderness this week. Um, so I'll backed off. I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a warning sign. I've gone a little bit too hard with the, with the estrogen. I'm taking the drops, um, and the patch as well. So I had the patch and then I was finding the patch just wasn't cutting it. It was too low. So I put in the drops, the drops seem to have really lifted it. Um, probably a little bit too too far because I've got some breast tenderness. So that it's about tuning into your body too, and and noticing things like that, and then going okay, uh, dial it back a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. 
especially with estrogen and air on the side of caution and keep my progesterone levels up while I'm trying to to sort of balance that out. And and really, I, I think it's quite important if you're doing HRT um, to journal because you, you forget mm-hmm. from one day to the next, you know, or use a tracker of some sort, you know, did you have breast tenderness today? What was your, the just, you know, vaginal discharge? Did it change? Was there any any changes in mood, sleep, you know, you, you start to track all of those things and yeah. it gives you an ability because when you're, when you're going through menopause, you're not um, cycling, right? You're not got a regular cycle at least. So it's, it's quite hard to know, you know, where you are because in a cycling woman, you know, you've got your nice peak up towards ovulation and you, your estrogens are going up and then your progesterone kicks in if you ovulate and, and that nice sort of pattern that happens, you don't have that scorecard anymore. So you're not quite mm-hmm. sure where you are, you know. So what's your take actually on um, trying to keep the cycle going when you're on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and trying to, okay, do so many days without progesterone and, you know, um, mm-hmm. versus every day the same? It's you, a big so are you, question. Are you talking about like the Wiley protocol where women actually yeah. bleed? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, or, Tess, Tess Wiley is, uh, so that's, yeah, trying to get that, that cycle going, even when you're not bleeding anymore, like is, mm-hmm. it, is there a, and this is, you know, <laughs> you probably don't have the answer because probably the research hasn't been done on this exactly. I don't know, but, um, you know, can you still mimic a cycle even though you're not cycling per se? Yeah, you I mean you can somewhat like you actually do see women still bleeding in their late 50s. Wow. You know, still having menses cuz they're well it's more like a withdrawal bleed. It's not an actual yeah. period of course cuz we're not actually ovulating. Yeah. But just from the effects of the hormones and adding in the progesterone at the last 2 weeks of the month and then taking that progesterone away can have women still bleed. Um I don't know. I don't, I don't do the Wiley protocol. Um, I am a believer that low dose estrogen is probably safer and we don't need much estrogen to see the positive effects on the cardiovascular system and the bones and the hot flashes and the mood, uh, and the cognition. And actually, if we go too high with estrogen, there is some research, especially when women start to get more like 10 years out from menopause or more than five years out from menopause, there is some research showing that if we use too much estrogen and and too much estrogen, it's not even, it's not even that much. It's like, if we get estrogen into that lower end of the luteal range. So if we get estrogen around 50 or 60 in the blood, I don't know if we have the same Units yeah, I think we're, we're yeah, yeah, that, that um, always confuses me too yeah. when I'm studying because I'm like trying to convert it to what else <laughs> right? are. All the bloods well, are like that. It's terrible. With the urine or with the Dutch test of the urine, um, we get it around two or 2.2. That's in the low end of the luteal range. Yep. And if we do that when we're out for menopause 10 years, around 10 years, it actually can increase our CM, CIMT progression rate. And CIMT is the carotid intima media uh, thickness. Oh, wow. So it's the ultrasound where you look at the carotid yep. vein and, and artery and you're um, measuring the thickness. So it kind of gives you an idea of like calcium deposits and atherosclerosis. And if we take too much estrogen, 
as we're getting older, it might not be the best for the cardiovascular system. So I'm always trying to use the least amount of estrogen as possible, but, but enough that's going to be effective for reaching the goals that we have. And, um, you know, we were saying the benefits of estrogen, it's, it's, it's true. Like when women are reaching menopause, as they make that transition and their estrogen plummets, their risk for heart attack goes way up Yeah, and it equals that of men. Yeah. And so if we can get estrogen on board around that time, we can really help lower that cardiovascular uh, risk. And and there's the the other part of that equation is the uh, bone density. Like people don't understand how many people die because of fractured hips and things like that. You know, like osteoporosis is almost as dangerous, if not more dangerous. I think the statistics are actually worse for for than breast cancer. Yeah. So 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 we may mitigate the lower the risk slightly on breast cancer, but if you've got bone density issues because you don't have enough estrogen, you know, Mm -hmm. especially then the sixteen pathway is very proliferative and and good for bone density. So that's a bit of a mixed bag that one, isn't it? It's sort of yeah. Um really good for that and and this is something that you know i'm aware of for myself um quite a you know a muscular but slight build so i've got to be careful of my bone density and mm. um you know that's one of the things on my radar and one of my teachers dr elizabeth Yurth, she's a orthopedic surgeon and um and regenerative specialist so she's like massive on giving us all the statistics on how many people die of, wow. of fractures uh, and women from osteoporosis you know mm-hmm. the, the fall when they have a fall after getting osteoporosis then compared to the the breast cancer risk um so you know or the cardiovascular the stroke risk the, the heart mm-hmm. attacks you know so it's, it is important this is really really important there is a reason yeah. why at menopause we 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 tend to catch the men up on on many of the negative statistics um i know it's, yeah it's and, and estrogen can help with that or you know bhrt mm-hmm. can help with that and trying to balance that out are there any downsides to like there there is downsides to estrogen being too high you know um and in a, in a younger woman you're more likely to go a little bit gentle on the estrogens and when you're going through menopause your estrogens can fluctuate quite strongly too so you you could do a test and you know one week you're up and next week you're in the gutter because yeah. it's doing that sort of all over the place thing um but is it you know where was I going with this um so for younger women putting in estrogen a little bit more cautiously and then when you're in your 50s mm-hmm. maybe you know adding it in but is there any downside with progesterone or is it all upside oh that okay that's a really good question um well one one other thing that progesterone does is it supports our bones and there's research showing that if even if a woman has one anovulatory cycle where she doesn't mm-hmm. ovulate, she doesn't make that progesterone or a short luteal phase. So she's not exposed to as much progesterone during that month. Mm-hmm. It can have negative effects on her bone mineral density. Wow. I didn't know that one. That's that cra- so, that crazy? so it's not just the estrogen piece of the puzzle no. for the, it's the progesterone as it's well. Progesterone too. Wow. Yeah. That's- so yeah. So is there any downsides to progesterone? It seems to be a lot of upsides to progesterone. There are a lot, a lot of upsides to progesterone. Sometimes if when women start progesterone, they don't tolerate it well. Like sometimes women will get breast tenderness 
or they'll get migraines or it'll affect their mood. Like I've heard stories of women even becoming suicidal. So, oh wow, uh, yeah, yeah. So it it can have some negative effects. Um, sometimes if it's just a little breast tenderness or a little like kind of bloating, because because progesterone slows down the GI transit system. So some women are a little more constipated or bloated with it. Sometimes just adding in a little more fiber or you know magnesium, vitamin C. Uh, and, and sometimes just waiting a week or two for the body to adjust to the hormones, it can be fine. Um, progesterone can also increase breast density, but bioidentical progesterone doesn't seem to increase breast cancer risk. So like breast dense, which is interesting because denser breasts, duh, you know, that duh, it is a risk factor for breast cancer, but and bioidentical progesterone can increase breast density, but it, but it doesn't tend to increase breast cancer risk. Wow. Um, but yeah, you know, it can affect breast changes. Some women do have some breast tenderness. Um, yeah. sometimes women are just groggy, like oral. So oral progesterone tends to have the most GABA effect yeah. because of the first pass effect. But um, sometimes women are just too groggy. They're all like, I'm just sleepy all day. <laughs> and so they so can't it's good at nighttime. <laughs> yeah. Good at nighttime, but they're still groggy the next day. Um, cause it, if you think about it, it's the progesterone metabolites that are acting on the GABA receptors. It's not the actual progesterone. And when you take oral progesterone, what you see is your serum progesterone will, will elevate for just a couple hours and then they'll go back to baseline. So if you test your progesterone in the serum or in the blood the next morning, it's going to be low because it's, mm-hmm. it's back to baseline. There's no good test, not urine, not saliva, not uh, blood for measuring progesterone if we're taking it orally. Um, but so the progesterone in the serum goes up and down within a few hours, but the progesterone metabolites that act on those GABA receptors, they can stick around for days. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so yes, yeah, sometimes women are groggy and in that case, we might switch to vaginal progesterone because at this time, the research says, if we have a uterus, if we want to avoid that endometrial hyperplasia and cancer risk, you know, the uterine cancer risk, we need to balance that estrogen with either oral progesterone or a vaginal progesterone because topical progesterone at this time, it's not, there's not a lot of evidence showing that it'll protect your uterus. Wow. Okay. So, so the, cause you know, it's the opposite with estrogens. You don't want oral estrogen, but oral progesterone and that first pass through the liver can help more with those, those GABA uh, receptors. And yes. so, um, cause I've been experimenting cause I'm a biohacking nutcase, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always testing everything out and, no, I love it. Things out and balance things out. Um, and I use myself as the guinea pig on everything. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. And, and, yeah. And so I've been on oral progesterone up until now. And uh, just recently after getting the last test back and saying, I'm, I'm not, it's not, I'm not good enough, putting in um, topical drops of progesterone mm-hmm. and um, massive, I have noticed massive changes. I have been taking a little bit of estrogen extra as well, higher than I was. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was so low, like nothing was registering at all on my, my test. 
uh, despite being on the transdermal. So I'm wondering, like, whether the transdermal for me just didn't quite cut it, you know, like whether I'm not getting enough through there or I'm just metabolizing a lot, I don't know, really fast somehow. Um, With the, the transdermal progesterone yeah. or the oral? No, the, the transdermal estrogen, oh, estrogen doesn't okay. seem to get through. You know, okay. when I look at my test results, they are more than at zero. <laughs> They're yeah. really, really low. Okay. Um, and that's despite yeah. being on the 25, the 0. Is it 0. 0.025 milligram yeah. um, dose of estrogen on the patch. And so I've started putting in estrogen drops and progesterone drops at the same time. And I've noticed massive changes. Um mm-hmm increase in breast uh, size sorry guys too much information today but <laughs> breast tenderness and so yeah, yeah I'm still just dialing it in right it's only been the last two weeks mm-hmm. um so it might not even be the estrogen it might be the progesterone that's doing it could, that. yeah it could be and and then um you said with the oral progesterone your test results came back low yep and was it urine uh yes yep okay and did you take the progesterone the night before? Yep. yep. And it came back. Below yeah, hundred milligrams. Yep, still came back really low. Okay, that always perplexes me. We actually did have a case one time when a woman—not to say this is the case for you—but we did have a case at the lab one time where a woman was said she was taking oral progesterone, and her results came back low every single time. Yeah, and we actually tested the medication for her. And it was testosterone. It wasn't progesterone. Oh, wow. So sometimes if women are taking oral progesterone and they're like, I took it the night before the test as directed and the progesterone's still really low. Yeah. That's odd. Like sometimes that's I'll just, odd. I'll mm-hmm. change the compounding pharmacy. I'll try out, you know, a, a different pharmacy or okay. um, yeah. Cause it, it shouldn't be that low. Like we don't clear it that fast. We wouldn't, those progesterone metabolites hang around for days. Like it, Yeah. Yeah, so you should be seeing it. And I'm just looking at my pregnant, you know, A pregnant and B pregnant The B was up, still not in range, but below range. Um, but the other one was on close to close to zero. So really interesting, eh? And this yeah. is and this is why. And I tend to I, I seem to burn through a lot of things a lot faster. I don't know whether it's because I exercise so much or something. Mm-hmm. Um no idea um but i've 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 gone now the the topical to see what happens and i've noticed massive changes so now it's a matter of dialing yeah. those changes in because you know you tend to breast and things don't yeah. you know that's not to me that's sort of like okay that's probably not a good thing um you know and you sort of want to dial that in, and and i'll and i'll retest again in a few weeks yeah well the uh, topical progesterone there's there's not research showing it'll protect the uterus. So mm. yeah, just oral and vaginal. So sometimes women might take oral progesterone and they might add on some topical progesterone. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. When, okay. When it comes to um, progesterone, there's no good way like oral progesterone. There's no good way to monitor that with lab testing. So I just go based off symptoms yep. and I go based off the research to protect the uterus. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and that's a, this is the trickiness, and I think we're 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 explaining it quite well that this is a tricky world, um, but one worth diving into, one worth 
really exploring if you like I said don't want to dive a hip fracture at 17 because you fell over and broke your hips or you don't want a heart attack at 50 right uh all of those sorts of sides of things so that's why the education is really important can we just talk a little bit briefly now about methylation um as it pertains to, to 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 hormones so once we've produced our hormones whatever type we're making we've got to get rid of them out of the body because they've done their job and now they should go off <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and bugger off. Um, how do we get our hormones out of our body um, and how do we support that process, that detoxification process, um, so that it's not sluggish and slow and, you know, this is a whole hour on itself, by the way. But... <laughs> yeah, I'll try to summarize. Yeah. So uh, it's a good thing that we can detox our hormones because, you know, our ovaries, our adrenals are constantly making it. And if we didn't detox it, it would just build up in our blood and in our tissues. It'd be terrible. But um, yeah, we have, so the liver, I'll say the liver detoxes most of our hormones. So liver function is really important. And so I'm always trying to think about supporting the liver. And it's not just about things like dandelion tea or eating more beets and artichokes or getting good choline in the diet. It's also about just cutting out the crap. Yeah. Yeah. All the (laughs) alcohol, all the stuff that bogs down the liver, um, pesticides, alcohol, you know, I always say go to the environmental working groups website and look at your shampoo ingredients, your conditioner ingredients, um, household cleaners, laundry detergent, you know, all of that stuff has chemicals, at least in the U S it's not regulated and terrible here too. Oh, they don't have to, they don't even have to put the ingredients on the label. So most of the time you don't even know what's in there. And that's a big sign that's probably not good. Um, but cleaning up all the crap that bogs down the liver. And then on top of that, you know, supporting the liver, getting good hydration. That's always important, but a lot of detox happens in the liver. We have phase one and phase two that mostly happen in the liver. And phase one is when we take the estrogen. So let's just, for example, estrogen, and we hydroxylate it to make it water soluble. But the phase one metabolites, they can cause little damage in the body or inflammation or proliferation. So we don't want them to stay in phase one for too long. And that's why everyone is always saying, support phase two, make sure your phase two is working well. Because what phase two does is it takes those reactive rowdy phase one metabolites and it will put a uh, methyl group on it, or uh, it'll sul- sulfate, sulfate it, it. it, or, you know, glutathione will come in and detox it. So in phase two, we're taking these reactive phase one metabolites, and we're making them more stable and ready for excretion. Because after that comes phase three, where they're being eliminated in the urine or in the stool, in the bile, the stool. And so there are a lot of things we can do to support that elimination. Um, You know, the overall liver support is important, cutting out the crap. But then also in phase one, we want to push most of our estrogen down that 2OH pathway. So we we already uh, mentioned the brassicas, the carrot family, the rosemary, sulforaphane, or, or sprouting your own broccoli seeds. Yep. That can be a great way to get it. And you don't even need that much of the sprouts. Like nah. you just need a couple ounces every other day or every couple of days. And, and when you get those packages at the store, it's four ounces. 
Yeah, I'm um, sprouting. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in uh, phase two, the 2OH and the 4OH, remember that 4OH is the carcinogenic one. We don't want it hanging around. They get methylated. So we're taking this methyl group and a methyl group is just a carbon with three hydrogens. So we're taking this methyl group and we're sticking it on the 2OH or sticking it on the 4OH and then we're turning it into a different compound that's, that's stable and sometimes even protective for the body. Yeah. And, and this is like, this is where things like your, your B vitamins, your magnesium, um, some of these cofactors that go along in that methylation process are really important. So like if you're really depleted of, of from v, B vitamins, which I think quite a lot of people are, yeah. um, and it, or you have a genetic snips and your, you know, your, your, um, your methylation. So, you know, the famous MTHFR ones, but also other mm-hmm. ones, MTR and MTRR and SHMT yeah, and all, a those, lot of them. <laughs> all of those uh, letters. So, you know, without most people don't know their genetics in that regard, but if you do, like, you know, I know that I've got some trouble spots there. So I support that methylation process. So whether that's with B vitamins or TMG, trimethylglycine or, um, but I'm, I'm just really big on, you know, things like folates and getting lots of green leafy vegetables, you know, mm-hmm. getting your B12. If you're vegetarian, know what your B12 is doing, you know, uh, have you got enough? Because if you don't, yes. uh, which is very easy to not have enough when you're vegetarian or vegan, um, especially, but also genetically, you might have a problem there you're not going to get all this crap out of the body, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to detoxify. And so that's going to, you know, back up. So even if you're like supporting those phase one, but you're not supporting the phase two, yeah, you can be causing actually more trouble. Um, Dr. Carrie Jones talks about going, or was it you? I think one of your lectures, I'm, I'm not sure. One of, one of you two amazing ladies went, actually start with number three, work back to two and a half, two, and then yeah. number one. Um and you know because you actually want to start in the gut with the detox sort of side of things the yep. beta glucuronidase um which again is a stool test and to, to know where that's at but just supporting that that uh, detoxification so you don't want to be constipated you know you want to have fiber in the diet mm-hmm. you want to have good probiotics perhaps in the diet um these sorts of things that can help with that Did yeah I explain that right yeah yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. You do want to work backwards. The way I, the way I kind of picture it in my head is phase one is taking all your trash and your food. Well, some people compost, but you know, taking all of your trash and putting it in the trash can in your house. And then phase two is taking that trash bag out to your big trash can on the side of your house. And then phase three is wheeling the the garbage bin out and putting it on the side of the road for the trash truck to come and pick up. And so if we have, we have to work backwards, we have like, if the trash truck just stopped coming, we'd have so much trash building up (laughs) in our house and be blowing around the entire neighborhood and be recirculating. Um, Same with phase two, if we're not taking the trash out of the house, it's just going to build up in our house, in our body. So it is important to work backwards. Like you said, like first support phase three, make sure you're having adequate bowel movements, get your fiber in exercise. Exercise is so important for bowel movements. 
um, even stress reduction. Sometimes when people are constipated, yeah, they just like, yeah, they just kind of, they just do some deep breathing on the toilet. It can really help to have a bowel movement along with the squatty potty. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, like you have to poop daily. You know, like if people aren't going to the toilet, having bowel motions regularly, and it's backing up, it's not just a minor thing. It really yeah. is a major thing. And another thing I like to talk about is your bile health. You know, like what is the state of your gallbladder? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was reading some research. Um, I, I, I can't quote it, but um, oral contraceptives are really impacting gallbladder. Um, oh, I believe it. They change the microbiome. They deplete like all, pretty much all the nutrients and vitamins that we need to methylate. Yeah. So did you hear that, people? I'll repeat that. <laughs> oral contraceptives although important that we don't get pregnant when we don't want to and we have that freedom understand Mm -hmm. that it is very uh, has a lot of implications so what are some of those implications you you know uh, gallbladder can be impacted thyroid um gut health gut health it depletes magnesium zinc b vitamins um wow that's your whole methylation process yeah, the whole methylation, uh, it can increase risk for breast cancer usually. But I mean, what I've seen, it seems like the, the, the science that I read or the research that I read, it, it varies. Like some people say after you stop oral contraceptives within two to five years, your breast cancer risk goes back to where it was before. So it seems like it's, it's, it's not forever sure. increasing. Yep. So um, I think I'm past <laughs> mine I, I took oral contraceptives for like 12 years yeah i know mm-hmm. this is so frustrating right yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it it there's a lot of negative impacts in the body um from the oral contraceptives and so when women are on oral contraceptives like if they have to be on them or they really want to be on them i'm i'm at least saying okay like let's push this multivitamin let's just get really good sources of nutrients. Let's really work on supporting the gut during this process. But I think there's even research on it, increasing risk for inflammatory bowel disease. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is yeah. Mm. Like thyroid, you know, like slowing your metabolism down. And I mean, there was a big study that came, I think out of Canada, I forgot the name of the researcher, but you, you the um, permeability in the gut, you know, the, the leaky gut um, that come, can come from oral contraceptives. Yeah. Um, so this is wide ranging and even the, the cognitive and the choice of partner could have been affected. <laughs> so one of yes. those people who chose someone that wasn't great, <laughs> leave it on the oral <laughs> contraceptive. That was definitely one. That's I'll what blame. I did. <laughs> yeah. I, I was joking choices. around with the other uh, clinical educators at Dutch. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Now I understand <laughs> all my bad choices in life. Exactly. All that. Yeah. Those horrible boyfriends that you had was <laughs> just blame the oral contraceptive. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. Impacting. I mean, I, I got off and then I, I met the man of my dreams and I'm married yeah. now. So same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ladies, we're joking, but we're not joking. It yeah. actually does impact your choice of mate and the way that your brain works and the way that you think. This is pretty major stuff. It's not just shutting down your um, ovaries so that you don't produce an egg and get pregnant. It's doing a hell of a lot more. And I was on it from the age of 13, 14 because I had problems with my periods. Mm, and my mum took yeah. me to the doctor. They stopped me on the pill and I stayed on it forever in a day. And then when I came off, you know, like, oh, God, what a mess, you know, um, what problems yeah. and infertility and all of those things. And you don't know 
how much was this and how much was that, but yep. you know that the outcome wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even bone mineral density because it's a sy- synthetic progestin. You don't get that bioidentical progesterone helping your bone mineral density your whole life. So Your whole life, and you're exposed daily yeah. to estrogen for your mm-hmm. entire cycle. There's no normal cycle it's just got major, major implications. And, you know, 85% or something of the world's female population have been on or are on the pill. Now, that's got to be one of the biggest experiments with humans um, ever done, really. Like, yeah. as, you know, the, the implications of it. And I don't think we'll ever probably understand the positives and, and negatives. I, you know, there are positives, you know. You oh, know, yeah. You know, yep. but you have to be in, informed informed consent is what what you need to to have and understand and that's why we're doing this you know yeah um dr kelly you've been absolutely fascinating i could sit and just talk to you for hours about all the stuff and i would love to have you on in a few months time to maybe dive into another topic if you were <laughs> up for oh, it yeah. i'm trying awesome. i'm trying to still you know get more on the men's health side of things because we tend to focus on women and hormones but i do think uh, our men uh, need to be catered for as well and understand uh, their their sides of it. So I, I have got one coming up, but I would love to maybe do a dive with you in a few months' time if you have time. Yeah, um, that'd be fun. Is there anything that you wanted to share? So the, the Dutch test, I'm a huge fan of the Dutch test, it, and I'm a huge fan of the Dutch test with the car. I really think that that's um an important add-on or uh in the organic acids you know like that's got organic acids in it as well some of them you know which yeah i'm in the middle of learning organic acids and oh my god between hormones and organic acids i'm completely overwhelmed (laughs) yeah your brain is full (laughs) it's like what are they just you know it's in these huge great words and stuff but um we'll get there and because this stuff's really really important so the Dutch mm-hmm. test has all it has. I think it was it eight different organic acids that we're looking at. So dopamine. Yeah, we've we've got more now. Um, I think we have oh, eleven, eleven wow. or twelve. Yeah, we added on a biotin marker, oh. a dysbiosis marker, indican, and then a neuroinflammatory marker, quinolinate. Oh, that's such an important one. I did a lecture yesterday on quinolinate and quinurinate oh. pathways. God, oh, trip to oh, interesting. pathways. Yeah, yeah really, you know, really, really phthalates, confusing. Phthalates Sorry? increase. Phthalates increase um, quinolinate. Oh, really? Phthalates. Yeah. Okay, phthalates. so phthalates that are in our shampoos and our and plastics and, and every bloodwear yeah. yep, increases quinolinate. And quinolinate is um, a, a neuro, basically shows neuroinflammation in the brain. Yeah, it's an um, actual neurotoxin. If it built, it, it can elevate with phthalate exposure, with inflammation, with infection, but it's an actual neurotoxin. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So we got to avoid this crap. I mean, I've I've got so many clients with, you know, everything from motor neurons disease to functional neurological diseases. Oh, wow. you know, yeah. And 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 getting uh, and looking at their organic acid tests, you know, quite often that that quinolinate, chironate, mm-hmm. um, santurinate, so your B six too low, and your you know. All, all these things that are just really not not making a good picture. And, yeah. But when you test these things, then you can you've got targets to go after, um, and you've got things that you can do. So I think the Dutch yeah. test and the cortisol awakening response and the organic acids—it's a pretty bloody comprehensive test. Yeah, you know, 
There's, it, there's it other is. good tests out there, but I, I really find this one the most comprehensive with the most information. And, and I think if you add in, you did a Dutch test and you added in a stool test, you've covered yep. a hell of a lot of health, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you, if you can get those tests to dialed in um, and find a practitioner that understands those tests, which they don't grow on trees, but um, – then you'll go a long way to helping you, yourself and understanding this whole picture of your health. So, yes. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for coming out in the storm and going to your in-laws <laughs> and going to all that trouble. It's been absolutely amazing to talk to you, and I'm just so grateful. Where can people find you? Because you have a fabulous Instagram and things like that. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm just Dr. Kelly Roof. So D-R-K-E-L-L-Y-R-U-E-F, F as in Frank. So exactly. that's that's where I am in social media. I'm not really I'm not oh I guess I'm on Facebook too. But yeah, but mostly on Instagram place. and that's mm-hmm. the best place to connect with you. And precision analytical, of course, if you need um direct um, help there, you can go to the precision analytical and we'll put all the links down below. But thank you so yeah. much for your time yeah. today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. That was great. And I would love to come back, talk more about men's health or whatever topic. Oh, that would just be absolute gold. that's it this week for pushing the limits be sure to rate review and share with your friends head over and visit lisa and her team at lisatamati.com